You got ten minutes in honor of Quibi being around. What's your pitch for a ten-minute show? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and it's just a home renovation show with only the good parts. So the homeowners have wildly unrealistic expectations. They encounter all kinds of problems that they don't know how to pay for. And then you just get to see the before and after. I'm Matt Patches, and I feel like I'm giving away ideas that could actually make us money, which is uh, most of what this podcast is about. But um, I'm going to go with, it's going to be like, a, I, I just watched the smallpox episode of ER. A kid with small. Uh, I did too. ER. We we just watched that two nights it ago. It's colossally fucked up to be watching that right it's, now. And, it, and I, it's the <laughs> season finale of uh, season eight, yeah. and also the season premiere of season nine. It was a lot. And that leads immediately. It's about quarantine and smallpox, and it leads, leads immediately into an episode about uh, overworked. I mean, every episode of that show is about overworked healthcare professionals, but they get so overworked <laughs> to the point where they have to stage a walkout. Um, it is all about the public, the personal safety. It is very so. Topical. Okay, all of that, but now it's a quibby. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ER, ER is, is ER a quibby. is a quibby. Just, just do like one medical procedure per quib. Uh, okay. uh, I'm Dave with a seven, and I'm going to say each episode a baby panda loses something in its enclosure and has to find it. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and. Uh, well, Patches stole my answer uh, verbatim, so <laughs> I I will I'll just go with uh, videos of my son rolling around the crib that we just moved him into. Cribby. That's pretty cute. That's pretty good. Cribby. Yeah. Cribby on Quibby. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good then. Well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 296, Pandemic 5, and it's the week of Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. That was the day that in 1963, Lawrence of Arabia won Best Picture at the 35th Annual Academy Awards. And this brings up the thing that I keep thinking about because I'm a monster. Thank God we had the Oscars early this year because we really could have fucked up the Oscars. By not being able to have do, do, do you think uh, Universal would have pulled a Wisconsin or, or Supreme Court <laughs> just and uh, lobbied for anyway. the, so well, the sort of the win. right only to get fucked? I mean, that would be great, but I was going to think sort of the, the reverse position where they would move to cancel the Oscars knowing somehow that Parasite would win. I don't know. Your scenario is more plausible. Uh, anyway, thank God we had the Oscars. They already. would have still had the Oscars. Uh, they would have I mean, just taped each over uh, Zoom segment. Kind of uh, in isolation, like oh. they just did WrestleMania this weekend with mm-hmm. standalone segments, pre-taped stuff, and live event things. You could do the Oscars in. You'd segments. have like Brad Pitt calling so in on Zoom. Incredibly depressing. Yeah, instead of a host, you'd have each of the late night hosts who are doing all their stuff from home just phoning in. Ellen would phone in. Hilarious. I hate this. I hate Ellen. Hate it. <laughs> anyway, here we have a review. We do. I'm sorry. I have a uh, a Hall's cough drop in my mouth. It's a perfect time. Not going to auger anything. You're really uh, not allowed to talk about coughing in the public I know. I, I mean, tell that to the tickle in the back of my throat that's been sitting there for the past couple hours. Um, it's better than Sherlock a tickle in your is, anus. Is it at this in, in, that's a in this particular in this, day and age? Much I no. I may prefer a tickle in my anus. Um, Sherlock zero zero forty one says a fine proposition, Sir Ehrlich. That's me. I bring you to a proposition. Let's trade places. You get to write my IO psychology thesis, and I watch 10 to 15 movies a week. Might be understating, didn't do enough research for exact number. 
I'll make some half-arse critiquing on those movies, and you'll transcribe that into your usual great essays. Basically, I get to still learn while watching movies, but you write. Not expecting a response now? Think about it. It'd be a win-win. P.S. Great podcast. Almost forgot the reviewing part. Writing is just not for me. Thank you, a great negotiator. Uh, few very helpful. I, I like that. I like that that uh, that review because it has like three little steps inside of it. Sure, like it's a whole story arc, and at the end, he's like, "Oh yeah, the review. Also, the podcast is Could great. I'm movie. not good at writing, which ties into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well constructed. Mm-hmm. I think very he's better at writing than, than I, I think. This person <laughs> is better than writing than they think they think they are. Uh, I will say that ten to fifteen movies a week, other than being at a film film festival, is probably actually overstating it. Especially if you have to write a thousand words about every movie you watch, it's definitely closer to like six or seven movies. Maybe you're watching another movie for like an interview or something. But that world is uh, behind us now. Who knows how many movies I'm going to be watching a week. Uh, when we go back to work, when I go back to work, it might just be, you know, watch 112 Quibbies mm-hmm. and uh, write about that. Uh-huh. There's probably 112 uh, shows on Quibi. It'll still be the dream job. That's right. Still, still the dream, yeah. Uh, each day they manage to chip away at the dream part of it. But, uh, yes, thank you. Very helpful review, Sherlock0041. Uh, I hope that you are holding up okay out there, wherever you may be. You are a great negotiator, indeed. Better than Kevin Spacey in The Negotiator, but not Samuel Jackson. He was, he was top notch. I don't know what day of the week it is. Yeah. Is it Monday? I don't know. Is it Tuesday? I don't know. Maybe Sunday? I don't know. Every day feels the same. Every day feels the same. I think it's Thursday. Shut your mouth. It all feels the same. It all feels the same. I don't know what to do. So I'll just eat some snacks, get real fat, and stay in my room. Pandemic check-in. Here we go. Did you say number okay. five? We've been doing this five <laughs> weeks now? Well, the f- the first week we had uh, Eric on to talk about South right. by Southwest being canceled. Right. That's still technically pandemic week one. I've been saying so. this is Man. the beginning of week four because it's the fourth week of not having childcare. But sure, I mean that's as good a metric as any. Yeah, that's when that's when my um, pandemic began. Yeah, uh, but I've been uh, I spent the first two weeks of my four week uh, paternity leave at home as opposed to my working at home um, watching. A lot of nonsense, watching a lot of TV. I watched all of Succession, as we talked about last week at length. Um, and I finally retreated back into the comfort of the Criterion channel this week, weekend. Um, and, you know, at the start of the month, there's always a deluge of great stuff on there. And this is their one year anniversary, I believe. And so they have uh, a particularly strong bevy of titles. But uh, I... Well, for one thing, it's, it's, they're celebrating Toshiro Mifune's 100th birthday. And so there are a wide array of Toshiro Mifune films on there, not just the ones he made with Kurosawa, but some, uh, lesser known gems as well. I watched, uh, Throne of, Throne of Blood, which is not one of the lesser known films and was directed by Akira Kurosawa as a Macbeth, uh, adaptation about Macbeth. <laughs> um, uh, which is great, you know, immortal for the finale in which live arrows were fired at a very startled Toshiro Mifune. Um, but the, I think of the four or five movies I've watched on the channel over the past two or three days, my favorite was the last movie that Humphrey Bogart ever made, which is called The Harder They Fall. And he plays a, uh, a washed up sports reporter who specialized in writing about boxing, who is hired by Rod Steiger, who is giving, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. Um, who's playing this sort of like He's gangster. He's definitely dead, king. but becoming. Oh, long, long dead. 
posthumously becoming, yeah. Because um, I also watched this morning uh, The Big Knife by Robert Aldrich, in which he plays a similar role and is similarly, like, bracingly modern and kind of astounding. But uh, he has this, like, terrible Mexican boxer who's, like, nine feet tall, who he wants Humphrey Bogart's character to sort of essentially be, like, PR for and write all of these uh, drama publicity and they'll do a nationwide tour. Um, and it's essentially about a guy selling out. Um, and some men can sell out and some men can't. The morality involved in playing a patsy to the mob and, um, and the, the sort of lives at risk. And uh, it's it's really, you know, there is a sort of agitprop element to it, but uh, it's also a really strong human drama. Bogart is great. He's months away from learning that he had what would wind up being terminal cancer, but is still sort of slumping on. And Rod Steiger is incredible. Uh, so. That's what I've been watching, and I've been uh, doing a lot of what I will talk about in our mini-segment. We'll get there. What have you guys been watching? David bragging about uh, having a kid who'll just sit down and watch whatever you put on. I know. Uh, has that privilege. I, I'm t- <laughs> no, I, I, Elise and I were talking about this. So, like, you see a lot of flippant tweets about couples who are suddenly, like, very excited not to have children, or, like, rubbing it in all the people who have children's faces. As if not having children is the ideal way to be in a couple during the pandemic. And I'm not knocking it. Um, it definitely has its upsides, but I do feel lucky that Elisa and I are in a sweet spot right now where, I mean, having like a two and a half year old in a small New York apartment full stop would be a nightmare. Having a two and a half year old during a pandemic would be doubly so. But having a four month old who's just like sweet and cute and a very well tempered four month old too. Uh, for the most part, <laughs> yeah, um, depends. Months, but you know, yeah, um, going through a little aggression, but we just moved into the crib. Uh, but it, it not only is he kind of an angel right now, even though quick aside yesterday, he shat my underpants. Allow me to explain. <laughs> he, uh, was sitting on my lap and he shat his pants and the poop as sometimes happens, it's called a blowout exploded from out of the diaper through his pants and uh, then they hit my jeans. They seep through like alien blood to my jeans. But there was a hole in the crotch of my jeans where he was sitting. And so the poop went through the hole wow. all over my underpants. Um, it was pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> like, like this uh, me, you, and everyone. Wait, what is that movie called? Me, you, and everyone. Yes, me, you, and everyone. Uh, poop, it was poop one direction, but just down layers forever. But having uh, Asa at this age to focus on. I think gives Elisa and I like so much to do. Yeah. Um, and it will, it will very quickly become too much when we're both working and we still have no idea how we're going to make that, that go. But, uh, in the meantime, it is, don't uh, look ahead. Don't even, think it is amazing. It. And, uh, I feel very, very lucky and, uh, that worm could turn, <laughs> but right now we feel good. Yeah. I, um, I've been reading a lot of tweets about people being like, you know what? If there's a silver lining to this, it's about being productive. Or if there's a silver lining to this, it's about maybe you can just have time where you do nothing. And I'm oh like, my God. cool, man. Like- but you know what? I'm being positive. I uh, I don't want to talk about our kids too much on this podcast. We bore people probably by doing that. I'm trying. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't remember if I've watched anything of note recently. I have <laughs> been falling down sinking to the bottom i should say after the the death of adam schlesinger um and we didn't get to talk about it on the podcast because it happened midweek last week but um you know adam, adam schlesinger being the kind of front man of fountains of wayne a lot of people in our circles seem to know him just from that thing you do which is disappointing to me because i feel like he's written 
so much good music uh, for movies, lots of movies actually. Um, but man, Fountains of Wayne for me, I was I'm just listening to all the tracks again. It's why you moved to New Jersey. It, it, I mean, it kind of is You're why I'm searching to New for Jersey. those fabled fountains. <laughs> I'm, for me, it just takes me immediately back to like driving my car in high school or like during the summers in high, between high school and especially in this moment where we're all trapped inside or I have nowhere to go and there's no freedom at all. It's, it was such a refreshing nostalgia burst for me to go back to all these classic Fountains of Wayne songs. And it's his, the lyrics are incredible. The licks are incredible. I'm watching all these old, a lot of the, um, there, he he did a few live concerts that Shout Factory put on, and there's a bunch of clips on YouTube, too. So I would highly recommend, if everyone on your feed was talking about Adam Schlesinger as the guy who wrote That Thing You Do, I would highly recommend going and and going on Spotify. They put a great collection together, but there's a lot of YouTube videos, and he's a great performer. And, oh, man, it would really – I haven't been broken up by that many – Celebrity deaths, I suppose, is, I guess it's a weird detached way of putting it, but this one really knocked me out. And I, I also want to say that that thing you do is a good song, but I need you, that thing you do. The second version of that thing you do is a very good song. So the second version? Oh, like the, it's called I need you. And it's also on the album and it's a better song. So I just want to throw that out there. I remember the the part where he quits the band. He sings, I quit and he snaps his fingers saying, I quit. I quit. Uh, I should have watched that thing you do. My God. Um, what? About what? You, um, I have been background watching the Good Dinosaur, which I tweeted about this morning because it is very lovely and let's talk a about lot of, that. So I have like watched it in chunks. Like I don't feel like I can like analyze Quibbies. whether or not it lives up to. <laughs> I'm watching it in some quibbies. Um, because its reputation was that it was like very pretty but boring, and it's like you know I can tell that the plot is pretty simple. It's this adventure movie with this dinosaur and this like caveman kid who's kind of like a dog, um, which I relate to deeply because I have a fifteen uh, month old who is more like a puppy than a person right now. Um, and they go across these beautiful landscapes. It's kind of like a western, um, but you no, know, not a lot happens. Like I can imagine if you're like, all right, Pixar, give me something new, you'd be kind of bummed out by it. But as like something that is on that your kid is watching, that like is kind of pleasant to check in and out on. I have been enjoying it immensely. And it's on Disney+. This movie Plus is much else. better than its reputation. Okay, thank you. Is... So you have actually sat down and watched the whole thing? I absolutely have because my daughter's obsessed with dinosaurs. And I uh... remembered, oh, yes, Pixar actually made a dinosaur movie that was reviled at the time. And I think it had a lot to do with production troubles kind of leaking into the waters for converse- pop culture conversation around the movie. Yeah, they fired I think... the guy who like came up with it in the first place. Yeah. Which and Pixar I believe... has done plenty of oh, times. Yeah. No, for sure. But this one especially was also rushed to like the finish line to get it out. And they wound up putting only like one movie out that year. But I believe that the original premise was that the dinosaurs were going to, were going to be, still be alive in like present day as if like humans had progressed to modern life and dinosaurs were still around. Alongside That's dinosaurs. pretty cool. That's pretty cool too. But I think that the mu- movie is really sweet. I wanted to watch it because exactly because of the reputation you just described, which was like, I thought this was going to be a really boring movie that looked amazing. Because the whole thing, I was reading a lot of production notes about it too, and they wanted to do photorealistic, although Pixar doesn't like using the word photorealistic. Uh, enhanced reality or something is their, is their go-to phrase. I mean, it's definitely um, more beautiful than real reality, probably. 
Yeah, it's true. Of course, it's it's picturesque. Uh, it's painterly. Oh, the painterly reality, as I think what they call it. But it's photoreal for sure. Like the design, the the dust and the water droplets and the trees blowing yeah. and all these vistas. Yeah. And it's clearly set in the Bay Area where they are, where Pixar is located, and that is astonishing. And then you have these like very cartoony dinosaurs, um, which is a strange juxtaposition, but it's a lot of fun. And we were having a good time with the movie because, as I said, it's like kind of peaceful and the and the dinos- dinosaur is very childlike. The movie is fucking scary as hell. Like yeah. there's velociraptors and there's a lot of there's multiple scenes of lightning. I totally forgot the dad dinosaur dies early on. And I was like, oh fuck, uh, no, yeah. he's coming back. And then we just shut it off before it ended. Um, <laughs> yeah, that you was, get, was we're a, a little bit we're a little bit parts. past that part of it. Although we've still never seen the entire Lion King because we just skip Mufasa dying. Um, <laughs> Wait, you, oh, you skip Mufasa dying? I used there's, we skip there's the just entire a blank where he goes stampede. on an adventure. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. he just goes on an adventure with Timon and Pumbaa. Um, That's a good fun. No, That's it fun. definitely it definitely has scary parts. We skip some parts of it, um, but but it's yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, you watch the closing credits and it's all just like the credits are over these like beautiful still landscape shots. You're like, ah, that's why they made the movie. They made it to like, see what they could do with landscapes, which is, you know, it's very pretty. That's poetry. That's like sans solil or something. Right. Yeah. So Whatever. I can't pronounce shit. I don't speak French. I know. I know. I don't either. I don't either. I don't know what I should not be uh, dipping my wick in (laughs) correcting someone's French pronunciation. Um, one last thing that I should say is that on Little Gold Men this week, we're talking about Singing in the Rain as part of the series we're doing of uh, watching old classic movies that are about Hollywood. Um, Singing in the Rain remains perfect. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before. I've seen it so many times. Um, I but like I was telling like Patrick that he should show it. his daughter uh, Make Him Laugh, which I think is on YouTube. There's a way for you to just pick up that. I rented the movie off of iTunes. I was so about to say, you can probably rent it. I can do the yeah. legal thing. No, you can rent the whole thing, but you know, we... I have shown it to my kids in various forms and just kind of skipped around to the songs. But there's a lot of songs. You can get a lot out of Singing in the Rain from just that. Dave, what about you? What are you doing? Oh, I put down that's where the segment ended. <laughs> that's a talk lie. Yet. Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Things are still fine over at the Dave household. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, I'm reading two books simultaneously. One's the new oral history of The Office. It's called The Office, The Untold Story oh, yeah. of the Greatest Economy 2000s by Andy Green, which is nice. Uh, he structures it in an interesting way because obviously it's a finite book and The Office went on for like nine seasons. So you got to figure out how you're going to get people to talk about stuff and what you're going to cover. It's been interesting and also fun to like <clears throat> watch episodes in between chapters because he'll structure like first season and then focus in on like an episode. Uh, like diversity day and then like second season and then maybe focus on an episode at, like uh or a character like creed and an episode like uh the beach competition one or booze cruise anyway um all good i'm about up to season four of the office which is like halfway through the book so i don't know what's going on in the back part of the book but i'll let you know later on the other book i'm reading is uh media involved at some point on one of the podcasts that Patches and I were left alone, we were debating whether or not we could cancel Chinatown. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, I decided that next time I bring up this argument, I'm going to actually have something to say. So that involves uh, making sure I like understand where Chinatown fits in the Western canon, uh, that I want to replace it with one or like, more movies. So I'm reading a book called uh, The Big Goodbye by Sam Wasson. It's Chinatown, The Last Years of Hollywood. And it's a story about the making of Chinatown. 
So hopefully I'll have a better idea of it when I swoop in to try to replace it as like an L.A. movie and a noir movie wow. and a detective movie and all that sort of thing. But I'm going to have a good answer at some point. You're learning your enemy. Uh, You're like trying to get in the mind of Chinatown so that you can destroy it. Mm. Yeah, I've seen it. I went to film school. You know, we did like a week on it or whatever you're supposed to do. But I got to get back in there if I'm going to walk around saying people don't have to watch it. I feel, would feel better if I had uh, two or one other movie you could watch to maybe get all the stuff in. Wow. Um, I have one more recommendation or something that I did watch in the last week that I kind of stumbled into. But I'm mostly throwing up the flag for David because I don't think I'm going to convince mm. him to watch this. But he should watch it, and it's Dave on FX. Have you heard oh, of Dave? No, no. It's the no. It's, it's the, the Lil Dicky it's rap the show. <laughs> I don't know who Little Dicky is, but I do know that he's, Dave has he's a, a, uh, a historically catastrophic ad campaign uh, involving a photo of the guy. He's I think it's the guy coming pants. out of coming out of his own pants yes. like, like a dick. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then Little the Dicky. word Dave, which is uncomfortably close to my own name. Yes. Uh, and I, I like nothing about this. Yeah. Um, that ad has, I see that ad everywhere. I don't, I'm not going anywhere. How am I seeing it so much? I mean, the internet has advertisements, Katie. I don't know if you know. Oh, this, God. It's, it's, subliminal, it's subliminal imagery in it's, quiddies. It's in my brain, I guess. It's just in front of every pair of pants, Dave is popping out. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but David and all of you need to watch Dave. You need to take a chance. It's a no, on for, the, it's a no for me. No, but I'm going to let like, me. T- like, I haven't even given you the, the big sales pitch. <laughs> it was created by Lil Dicky, the rapper, uh, who has done funny stuff, but he, he tries to take himself. He's a good rapper. A lot of people hate Lil Dicky. And I didn't watch the show on purpose because it was just like, come on, Lil Dicky. We're over this. This is for bros and shit. It is co-created by Jeff Schaefer, who writes Curb with uh, Larry David. It is very much a Curb Your Enthusiasm show. It is very much young millennial Jewish man navigating the pitfalls of like sex and art and nope. craziness. No. Nope. <laughs> Let me, okay, let Katie. When you can't say that, but let me. <laughs> you can say it. No, uh, come on, I, David. I think it's about beauty, a neurotic the man. Beauty, the beauty of curb your enthusiasm is that it's about the Jew who I will become, albeit much richer. Uh, the uh, uh, I don't need to see the Jew I am now. That's fair. Certainly not coming out of someone else's pants. He doesn't actually come out of anyone's pants uh, on the show. He comes in his pants. The what? Oh. Boo. Okay, he doesn't do that either. I just wanted to make. I just wanted to say it. Boo. I just gotta say. It. I'm sorry. Can we get the uh, hook you, to you? Me and Lil Dick are just pals. This show has both been Are you a bro? I feel like this is the. You thought it was a show for bros, and this is how you learned you're a bro. I guess I'm a bro, dude. Oh, I'm not a bro. You patches. Oy. Right, David, talk about some fucking video games. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about one video game in particular. We will welcome you to our uh, semi bi monthly, tri monthly. I feel uh, like it's become more common since quarantine, which is not surprising. I mean, my friends, my friends and I, uh, like on this text thread, four or five of whom are dads now, 
uh, are talking about video games obsessively right now as if we were 13-year-old boys and if it all regressed to the way that our text conversations would have been 20 years ago. Because I think it is the quarantine and maybe just being a new dad drives you into this place where like your brain has been annexed by juvenilia to begin with. But I have been um, obsessively playing over the past couple of weeks, a game called Neo 2. I mentioned it briefly on last week. Uh, it is a Souls-like game, and that doesn't mean anything to you. Um, I'll give you the, the shortest possible version. Katie's nodding. Nope, nope, means yeah, nothing. Yeah, we, means well, nothing. We, Katie, Katie should know what it means, because we've talked about the Souls games at length at least once before on this podcast. But the rest of you have uh, an excuse. Um, They're they essentially, uh, yeah, very, very, very punishingly difficult games uh, that take a very, very long time where you progress through either you know, medieval and Dark Souls or uh, ancient Japan in the case of Sekiro uh, Shadow Side Twice or uh, Neos 1 and 2 or Bloodborne, which is like a European setting, uh, unclear of its origins. And uh, you are repeatedly your ass is whipped by uh, monsters and men of all kinds. Um, and you die and you learn a little bit about the game and you progress further. You kind of treat it like a puzzle that requires quick reflexes and a lot of taste for masochism. And you repeat and you repeat and you repeat. Um, and I don't know if I'm particularly good at any of these games, but I, I, I tend to think not, given that I don't really go in for a lot of the more like advanced combos and everything else, but I definitely have an appetite for the masochism that they require, at least in this context. But what I wanted to talk about in the context of Neo 2, a game which I stress I am addicted to right now, like I haven't been to a video game in a long time, um, is why I end just sort of opens up the floor, like why I might feel particularly drawn or anyone might feel particularly drawn to such a punishing gaming experience when everyone else is being pulled to the animal crossings of the world. Why now, uh, when the world is as bleak as it is and people are, you know, talking a lot about escapism and all the things that we, the content that sites like ours generate or about things to sort of disappear into. Um, am I lulled into a game that is just going to beat me senseless over? I have, and over I have again? a, I have a, well, Dave, you, you, Dave, Dave first. Dave, Dave. Wait, well, I want yes. to chime in and say that your enjoyment of so this... So not day first? No, wait, wait, wait. No, wait I'm going to make a quip. Clear. Not, no, not day no, first? See, I'm, okay, here, okay. Here's the thing. I'm going to make a quip, okay, and then so, you're going to go with an actual explanation. Oh, I'm a dick coming out of someone's pants. I'm going to little <laughs> dicky right Dave here. Let me first. little dicky right here. Let me lay it down. David, your enjoyment of this game is proof that your child is only so old. Jesus Christ. Like, the massive is a massive... Like, Katie is a mother of two. Like, she's right. playing the O2 every single fucking day. Now, Dave, you go. You go. <laughs> Uh, this is the same sort of symptom that um, uh, manifests in me with every time I return to The Sims, which is in times of uncertain crisis, uh, what you yearn for is some sort of structure that's understandable, yes. even if it's kicking your ass. So that's why we like go back to like games or something like that. Well, or people revisit like old shows. I think or that's, that's probably part of it. Uh, I do think that the um, catharsis involved the, the sense of like meaningful forward progress, which is sort of tucked into what you were saying is a big part of why I've always responded to these games, but especially now, like I will, there were, there was <laughs> yesterday when I came back from my daily long walk with Asa, he was passed out on the baby Bjorn, just sitting on my chest facing me and I didn't want to wake him up. So I fired up Neo 2 on mute and just played it standing up in our living room with him asleep on my chest. And I beat this boss that had killed me maybe 20 times. 
And it was like, it was uh, the, the first real moment of triumph I have personally experienced since uh, shutting myself in our apartment. Um, and I think that's definitely part of the sense of like earned forward motion. I, I like think that it's a very, thing. very long game. There's two know. different types of people, I think. And Animal Crossing and games like Neo 2 or Doom Eternal, which is out right now. Um, See, Doom, I got Doom because I read an article that was like, Doom is going to be a big stress reliever right now. And the manic nature of Doom, where you can never stop running, and you like can't even really get a, lay, a sense of the layout of the levels, because there are just monsters constantly on your ass. And I played it on hard mode, because I've learned to sort of put every video game on hard mode, because I find it more rewarding that way. That may have been a mistake for Doom. I should have clocked it down a little bit. But I found it <laughs> like more stressful, almost as stressful as my weekly fucking like age a year and go even grayer trips to the supermarket where people are just fucking on top of me coughing and bad. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, it does remind me of going to the grocery store. Um, so maybe there are three people. There, there's the doom crowd who just wants to like blast away ain't like total mindlessness. Um, and there are puzzles to solve in a, in a game like doom. And there are, there are steps you have to take repetitive nature to, to figure it out, but it's a definitely more run and gun experience. And then there's people like you who are playing dark souls. And I think it has to do with very specific learning the techniques of a game. Like I'm going to, there are exact ways to beat something. There are exact ways to progress. There's a solution to this puzzle. I'm going to learn A, B, C, D and get there. And you feel rewarded by the fact that there are answers in uh, when reality has so few of them. There is no way for us it's, it's to combat very... what we're going through with a very – there's no solution. It's endless. Um, and then there's but Animal also, Crossing, also... which is a whole right. other like <laughs> open world – like. You're on vacation constantly. It's true soma for the people who who play it, and that, and in a good way, I would say. But you still have to get Tom Nook his bells or whatever. You don't have to um, do anything. I mean, you can do that, but, but there's people who are yeah. selling turnips for hundreds of of bells, uh, but with no purpose. There's really no goal, and you see a lot of people frustrated by Animal Crossing because, like, what is the point? Well, there isn't one necessarily. Uh, I do think that there's something about the obsessive nature of a game like this. It, it does not allow for a casual experience. If you are going to play a Souls-like game, as they're called, you really have to give it your all and immerse yourself in sort of what you know Patches was saying, learning the game and how it works and how you might be able to solve it. Um, and I find that really engaging. I'm not a casual person. I don't really enjoy like casual interests. I like to either, it's kind of a binary, I like to obsess about something or not partake in it at all. And so I think this game kind of speaks to that. And it's also like because of that nature of the experience, it is very um, insulating. And when you are, you know, feverishly, well, that's a terrible choice of words. But when you're like walking around, um, you know, thinking a lot about how how you can beat this boss, like how you should dodge left when he glows red and what weapon might be best suited. And should you reroll all of your stats so you have more constitution to face him and whatnot? Um, that is a really great opportunity not to be thinking about the fact that you're living in the middle of a depression and pandemic and everything else. So um, if any of this sounds like it could be registering with you, I would recommend checking out Neo and Neo 2. You don't need to play Neo 1 in order to get into Neo 2. I have skipped over every plot-related cutscene in this game so far because who fucking cares? I want to use my hand cannon to blow people's heads off. Um, But I am very much looking forward it is. That part of the game is cathartic. You get this, like, rifle. I do have a hand cannon, but you gotta also get rifles and, like, the guy's heads pop off, like, uh, wow. 
from a distance. It's great, but I'm looking forward to playing the Final Fantasy VII Remake on Friday, which is more of a plot-oriented experience, and we'll talk about that down the road. But um, that's where I'm at. Video games, now more than ever. Okay, I'm bored in a house and I'm in a house bored. Bored, bored in a house and I'm in a house bored. Bored, bored in a motherfucking house bored and I'm bored in a motherfucking house bored. Bored in a house bored in a house bored. Bored, bored in a house bored in a house bored. Bored, I'm bored in a motherfucking house bored and I'm bored in a motherfucking house bored. Okay, let's talk about Quibi. So Quibi, it's it, it's quick bites. I hear it's quick bites. It's a portmanteau. I believe I'm pronouncing the French correctly. I think it's Portman. I don't think I don't I don't think so. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> you really proudly said that because you thought you were doing it. What right. is the pronunciation? I was proud of I was proud of myself for not correcting him. What was the pronunciation? So wait, quick bites quick 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 okay, I got it. Bite be quick bites. Mm. It's in that it, it's quick to download and it bites. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so that's my experience so far. Boom. Well, that would be Quibi. Suck at Jeffrey Katzenberg. I feel like Quibi, mm. like a like a like a squid state. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like that. <laughs> Quibi launched this week. Um, yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who he was the former CEO of DreamWorks. DreamWorks. Yep. Is he the K? Yeah. Is he yep. The yeah. K? yeah so he's got some cred. Um, he he got one point something billion dollars. To start a new yep. streaming service, it's called Quibi. All the content is bespoke. They really have, they've licensed nothing because they have a, have a genius idea. People don't want to watch full movies. They don't want to watch TV shows. They're too long. Instead, people want to watch quick bites of content, stories in smaller segments that six minutes, seven minutes, maximum 10 minutes. Uh, and they can watch them on their phone when they're commuting to and from work during shelter in place, uh, situation <laughs> scenarios. Uh, Quibi is hoping to disrupt the audience that is flocking to Netflix, that's flocking to YouTube, very likely. The only thing it disrupted is my Twitter feed. Uh, for at least 24 hours. Twitter likes talking about Quibi. Feed. Um, what do you, so we, I think all of us have experimented. With Quibi, we're, we're able Dabble. to kiss and tell here. I experimented with Quibi in college <laughs> yeah. a little bit. But I, don't I dropped a few Quibbies <laughs> in my time. Um, but let's, let's talk about, I think here's my big question. Or let me put something out there and then ask the question, which is, I think we are so quick to quick bite to dump on something new. Um, obviously people heard of, uh, people have been dunking on Quibi since the announcement for Quibi a year ago, uh, talking about how, like, no, this is not how you watch a movie. This is not how you watch television shows. This is, uh, the, the thing with Quibi, if you are unfamiliar, is that uh, you can watch it vertically on your phone or horizontally. They have Ooh, shot wait, shows. Can I say the... What? Oh, no, go on. I was going to say they've shot up. shows in a way uh, with two different aspect ratios that allow you to seamlessly actually it switches between different takes uh, clearly, or and there's a lot of pan and scan, but you can yeah. watch it in either aspect ratio at your at your leisure. Like it the does idea work here is whatever you use your phone for. Well. Yeah, it switches so, very seamlessly. So before we all shit on Quibi, which but I I'm far, saying we shouldn't I, shit on Quibi. No, no, no I'm same. saying we should. It's an absolute atrocity. I'm fine with Quibi. Quibi's fine. Line. Yeah, Quibi uh, is good. No, but I do want to say the one thing that I do think is cool about Quibi, at least in theory, if not in practice, um, at least not yet, 
which is that I was watching the show that Katie recommended me to watch. Um, you know, Quibi launched with just a fucking bevy of yeah. disasters. I mean, just like oh. one awful piece of no. dog shit after another. No, truly. I mean, it's like, it's embarrassing. It's, it's sub Snapchat television shows. Not, not that I've watched a single one of those, but I'm going to take it on good faith that reading, uh, Emily Van Dorf's article about that. Um, it is certainly sub anything I've seen on YouTube of a professional quality. Um, and, uh, you don't need to pay for a lot of the free content on YouTube, which is already plenty short. Jeffrey Katzenberg will be very dismayed to learn. But, uh, I was watching the LeBron James documentary, um, which at first feels like all Quibis do, which I described on Twitter today as like a, uh, overlong Super Bowl commercial that you already bought the product for. Uh, they all have that sort of veneer and especially with the star driven element. I mean, like the whole first episode of the most dangerous game thing with the fake Hemsworth and, uh, Who's a real Hemsworth, but he's the Quibi Hemsworth. It's not, it ain't, it ain't Thor. Yeah, but and, it's also uh, not the one on Westworld. He's the middle Hemsworth. It's Liam. This is true. Um, and oh, Westworld and, uh, and Christoph Waltz. I mean, that whole first episode feels like a Super Bowl commercial and you're already paying for the thing they're trying to sell you. And so it really has nowhere to go, but you have a 90 I was, uh, free change- trial, so no one yeah. has paid for it. Uh, I will be canceling. I was, uh, changing the aspect ratios on, uh, the LeBron James documentary, which after the first couple of minutes does settle into something pretty, impressive um at least by quibi standards and it's it's a moving show about a great project um and i switched my phone uh, and i will say it, it flips from aspect ratios very very quickly there's no real lag or it doesn't take your phone any time to think about it and i noticed that i was uh you know most of the time it's like the shot will just change aspect ratios will be new information um in one shot the frame will be higher if you switch to vertical and so on um it's not reconforming the image. It's actually giving you uh, more data. But um, I flipped it, and the image itself actually changed. It was a different shot being presented in each mode simultaneously. Uh, the kids were walking to the school, and they were talking about all these basketball shoes on the wall. And on the horizontal uh, aspect ratio, you saw the kids coming to the school. And if you switched it uh, vertically, you saw the wall of basketball shoes. And it reminded me a lot of uh, the Godard film Goodbye to Language, where he uses uh, 3D to beam different images into each eye during certain ports. So if you close your left eye, you see the man during a you know, naked man walking around the apartment. Uh, and if you close your left eye, you see the naked woman who's walking around the same apartment. If you open them both together, it's kind of a blur. And uh, I had a similar experience here where if I looked at one aspect ratio in a vacuum, I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and, and if I looked at the other, I was like, this is also, this is a neat experiment that they exist in this sort of unity. But when I took a step back and considered the project as a whole, maybe not the LeBron James show, but the existence of Quibi itself, it was kind of just a messy blur. Um, I, I think that it's a fundamentally misjudged product. It feels like something that would be pitched on Shark Tank and quickly bounced. Um, there is, uh, you know, a lot of content out of the gate, but, None of it, except for that Nicole Richie show and maybe this inspiring LeBron James documentary is at all noteworthy or worth talking about. Um, the rest of the shows feel actively terrible. Content of this length exists for free everywhere you look. Uh, and it just doesn't really feel like there's a need for this. I am not the target audience. They are not looking for, you know, they're looking Let, for let's casual get, audience, Let's get back to audience, that question at the but, end of the podcast because I think you're, okay, you're, you're but, snowballing a lot here. But Katie anyway, yes, and Dave... I wanted, to, I wanted to have that one cool thing. Well... But here's the thing. Quibi is good. So Katie and Dave, Quibi, what do you think? <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I don't think I said Quibi is good. I I think Quibi might be good. 
I am pretty much with David in that this doesn't really have a reason to exist. There are YouTube shows of all kinds of different quality for all kinds of different people, largely available for free. The idea of paying money to subscribe to get access to any of this stuff feels insane. I got my 90-day free trial just like everybody else. Um, there are some things that I watched on there that felt like entirely pointless, like a uh, Reese Witherspoon narrated nature show about like, <laughs> female animals, which is, <coughs> excuse me, which is fine. Like, I don't mind seeing cheetahs. Um, Reese is fine at narrating it and learning about, like, It what feels happens. like an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt parent. Well, so. and then I watched the Titus Burgess-hosted uh, <laughs> cooking show, Dishmantled, um, which really does feel like an unbreakable yes. Kimmy Schmidt show. But it's great because it's it great. ridiculous. Like, having wa- I watched a bunch of Nailed It last week, and it's basically just an eight-minute version of Nailed It, where people stand in what they call a tube in, like, full of hazmat suits and get a plate of food shot at them out of a cannon and then they have to taste whatever ingredients they can find on their bodies or on the floor and then figure out what it is they're supposed to cook and the only way to win is to like guess the most ingredients that you're supposed to include i feel like we should spoil the first episode just to describe how this i mean this episode is like seven minutes long so it's basically okay male chef what did you taste oh i tasted tomatoes and i maybe a little garlic i'm gonna make a pasta dish and then this other cook the, the woman is like, mm, I think I tasted pita bread. So it well, must she like be... found a full wedge of pita bread. She's got really lucky. She did, but now they're made. What, what like what did she make? She made uh... she made she made zucchini noodles with a side oh. of pita bread. It makes no sense. <laughs> no, and then the but... ultimate dish was shakshuka. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. and the judges are Anthony from Queer Eye and Dan Levy, which is why it's entertaining because like they're great. Like you want to like see them, but like also you don't want it to be more than eight minutes long. It was like no. that's kind of exactly what I would want to watch Quinn before. I also watched what was I'm the show? That. I watched Most Dangerous Game, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. I watched. But if I don't want a show to be more than eight minutes long, I don't want the show to be any minutes no, long. No, I think that's like if, that... if, if I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. Here's what I like... so like I got the got my kid to bed and like went out to sit on the porch for like the last minutes of light and I was like okay I want to sit here for a little bit I don't really want to scroll through Twitter I don't really want to read the news what am I going to do for like 10 minutes just to sit still and I watched the LeBron show and it, it felt fine like that was like exactly the way that I wanted to fill that time yeah, I mean, I get, I get that particular circumstance. It sounds like you had the the right sized uh, void in your schedule. Quickest bite, fill. but like my, my right, you had time for a nosh, <laughs> <laughs> quick nosh. But uh, happy Passover, everyone. Um, but what I kept thinking about is that like I haven't read Ulysses, like no, I, I know, haven't I watched The Wire. I, there's so many things. But you can't do that. I mean, that's not how life operates, especially not I, for I most people. I understand that, which is why, for, which is why Katie's example is a good one, because you're not going to read you what's or watch the wire in those 10 minutes that you have. But it's so hard for me, unfathomable for me to, to be like, I'm going to engage in 10 minute segments of the dumbest possible, most dangerous game re- <laughs> remake. <laughs> it's awful. Um, which feels like completely. But that's where know, I wanted to like push back and, against and, and the, like, these kind of not, preliminary. There are other things I would do. Offerings. I have books to read. I mean, that's I, that's such a limited view of what could be eventually, and who knows how long Quibi will last. But unlike YouTube, which is a big mystery to the creators who make content for that platform, because the algorithm's always changing. They're trying to get their content out in front of people. Should it be five minutes long? Should it be fifteen minutes long? Should it be forty minutes long? Like people don't know how to make content for this platform because there's a there's a mysterious hand conducting all the action and putting certain things in front of people and putting putting celebrities in front of people but here's a platform that's like it's going to be seven to ten minutes long create for this 
platform. Create, do it for this. And like these first wave of offerings, yes, are like totally star driven. A lot of crap. The narrative stuff doesn't really function. Although when the streetlights go on, this show that got ported over basically from Hulu, it debuted at Sundance two years ago. I mean, there's quality. Queen Latifah is in it. That's, there's quality be, to be found. And I think there's potential to be found in Quibi. I will. For my own disclosure purposes, say that Polygon has a show on Quibi. It has one of the news what? shows that they have. Yeah, called Speed Run. Um, I have nothing no, to do. This, I have nothing no, to your, do with your it. Opinion, oh, are you kidding me? Your opinion has changed. Uh, well, you I'll, I'll drag Quibi any day. I actually. You uh, are biased. I try to watch. Here's what you're not supposed to do. Um, I the one drawback of Quibi for me is that I have to watch on my phone. Um, and yeah, I I do think that it is the like. 21st century version of Uncle John's bathroom reader or whatever those oh, books were. Did called, you get right? the Charmin ad before anything that you watched? If you think they're at, they know I'm pooping. No, while I got a literal, okay. <laughs> I got an ad for Charmin that said like Quibi That's and Charmin, incredible. the perfect pair. Yeah. Oh my and God. I was like, it made do me you, so uh, embarrassed. Question, I wanted to turn it off. How long do you think it is before an open question, all three of you before Quibi relents and actually offers some sort of, uh, television-based way of watching it that allows you, because Patches was tweeting earlier today that he yeah. was going to airplay to I, I, wasn't jo- I wasn't joking. I tried to airplay no, and watch. But you couldn't. Only, only the TV. ads were. Yeah. That, that was yeah, so, <laughs> so See, I'll try, uh, like I'll how, drag Quibi. How long do you think it will be? I know. How long do you think it will be until Quibi just like gives into the, the basic logistical demands of what their audience is going depends. to have and allows people to watch on their television. Depends how many people forget to unsubscribe from Quibi after the 90-day free <laughs> trial. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, it's mm. unclear. I don't know. I don't know if people... I think this goes back to the questions that were being raised earlier, which were like, who is it for? Um, Dave, you, you should chime in here and tell us what you watched on Quibi, but maybe answer this broader question, because I've been... I mean, obviously, Polygon has made a show f- for the platform, and I'm curious what the, the viewership's going to be. I'm excited by the, the content that we're creating for the platform, and some of the... I really do think that it's... Quibi is going to be best for the unscripted and the documentary stuff, especially just like Facebook Watch. Facebook Watch is going to be the perfect kind of uh, uh, pedigree, the the history uh, for this platform, Wait. which is like they tried to do narrative shows. They had Limetown. My buddies mm-hmm. adapted their podcast Limetown to this very prestige, fancy show, and it's like <coughs> it, it's done after one season. They didn't want to keep going, but they have like um, what's that? Uh, Jada Pickett Smith's talk show on facebook watch is absolutely oh, huge. red table talk yeah that's huge and i think unscripted a documentary i haven't heard of any of this stuff i mean it's big it is big and but i think unscripted is going to be big on quibi for the exact reason it's the exact yeah. burst of like it's... hilarious or weird celebrity stuff that you want to watch while taking a shit um but dave what, what did you what did you experience on the quips uh, I did Run This City, Memory Hole, what is memory Murder hole? House, Memory Ooh, Hole, I was telling, Ka- I was telling Katie before the, the show, Memory Hole feels like a show that was, um, conceived of for quarantine and then shot during quarantine. It's just Will Arnett talking about old stuff like the Super Bowl shuffle, the rap song, uh, uh, against like a green screen and they have them do like bits uh but it is very youtube-ish and therefore you know works i didn't watch anything that was scripted uh most basically because I, I as soon as i got into quibi i'm like this isn't going to work for Wait, Dave, did television. you hear the controversy around memory hole though N- no what happened uh that there was a lot of i i don't 
I don't know all the specifics. I don't know how this is going to play out, but there were rampant accusations from trusted sources today all over Twitter about how Memory Hole ripped off its premise, its name, its logo, its everything uh, from a pre-existing show of some kind. Um, And people are up in arms that Quibi did not do their homework or did not, uh, you know, didn't play nice. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's the format works on here. So this is like, I don't think it's going to, if it eats into something like the Netflix audience, it's going to be because, you know, people won't make time for Netflix. Like this is going to eat into like the TikTok audience and the YouTube audience more. It doesn't need to lean more into that. Doesn't it need to really like feed? I mean, the idea is you sign up for Quibi and the second time you're on there, it has this sort of like curated platter of things for you to watch based on, what it knows you watch already, which again is technology that's already in use everywhere else. But I think in order for Quibi to stand out or have any hope for standing out, it has to function more like TikTok, where it is this kind of like, uh, what was that great old television sh- channel that was like founded by Al Gore, Current TV, where it's just these like modules of various lengths and you don't really know what's going to be next, but you're, you're down to watch whatever one of them they might be. They have to I mean, that, that, that is because... what the app is if you just randomly click on things that you right. don't know what they are. But I don't know if that works for content as long. And I think they didn't expect necessarily that people would think of terms of Quibi content in terms of being too long uh, as this is because you can put something of any length on Netflix. A Netflix creator can make a show that's 10 minutes long and you can watch it at the same leisure that you would watch something on Quibi. So, yeah, but you're not going to find it unless you're sitting down to watch Netflix. Like the whole phenomena of all of us know that feeling of endlessly scrolling through Netflix trying to find the thing you're going to watch. Sure. Like you're looking, you're, you're looking for like how much time you have, if it's like a movie you've seen before, if it's something you could stop in the middle, you know, all those things factor in. The thing with like the Charmin toilet paper, that's much more in the direction of where Quibi's going to be successful. And then it is really good. <laughs> like it can. is really good already. <laughs> yeah. It is really good already in, um, uh, like the documentary format. <clears throat> and then Katie was saying in chat earlier today that maybe, you know, Cheetah shouldn't be viewed in portrait mode. So there's weird <laughs> stuff like that where it's like, you know, it, they haven't quite found the marriage between their, their technology and the type of content they're producing. But I feel like it could be like really, really well. So it's faster to produce because it's shorter, even though you're producing a video stream that has two angles on it constantly, you could like uh, basically make a rig to do that. It's the same way, you know, we we used to shoot 3d with two cameras. My understanding is a lot Um, of it's not shot with two different rigs, but actually a single camera that's being, with where your monitors, you're yeah. framing for both aspect ratios. I mean, it's probably that, but what I'm saying is they can evolve to the second one. So if you have like a two rig, like if Quibi becomes a thing, which like, I don't think it's going to become a thing for narrative. Nobody wants like their chapter book to like be spaced out in like, you know, little three episode bursts over to, why don't you, why wouldn't people want because- to write for that? Because I think you need time to immerse yourself in a narrative story. I think you need more than those eight minutes to be into the world of whatever you're watching. And like, I know sitcoms are only 20 minutes. It's not that much longer. But there's something about the entire format of being like, I'm going to bend this content to my will. It's going to meet me where I am. That doesn't allow you to immerse yourself in a fully blown story like that. You could do mm-hmm. hyper serialization. You could do, you know, Batman shorts on Quibi and it would probably do really well. But like the, it's you're still narratively limited by like you could only connect so much, 
even if you have an audience that's, you know, binging your quibbies, which I don't think will be a thing either. Like, I think we're going to dip in, be like Katie, watch like a whole bunch of stuff one day and then kind of forget about it until, you know, you're on your phone on the toilet again. Or like someone uh, says something that they say is worth, worth picking up. Right. Yeah. So I think like their news content has the potential to be very exciting. Uh, the, whatever the Polygon show is, stuff that's more like that, like some sort of like digest thing. <laughs> A couple, a couple of years ago, uh, I was part of, uh, I can't say, I was part of pitching a show to Snapchat who was trying to launch something like this, uh, for another company. We won't know. And like basic, yeah, basically, uh, there was all these sorts of conversations, which is sort of like when you're stuck with this format that needs to be digestible horizontally and vertically. And needs to be like bite sized because you're doing it basically for a scrolling audience. Like, what content even fits I mean, in there? I won't, I, not that we were talking about MTV two seconds ago. We were not because we didn't name them. Um, Punked, the Chance the Rapper show, very good. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say, one. they, there's a giant animatronic slash man in suit gorilla in the first episode and people go fucking apeshit. It's, it's amazing. Um, Punked yeah, is that scene. That seems kind of perfect for Quibi. Dave, yeah. David, yeah, just think... embrace Quibi in all its limits. <laughs> Look, Or David, never talk about Quibi again. Either way. Here's the thing, Either David. Fine. A few weeks ago, you were telling me that you really need a show while you're taking a poopy that is a, a Game of Thrones veteran dealing with suicide and who gets in a plane I, crash I and rec- has to deal with that. <laughs> and, that and that show exists. You can take a poopy and watch that show right now. Patches, patches. Let me be very clear about something in addition to the fact that the conversation never happened. When I'm taking a poopy, I am, uh, I keep one ear open to, uh, Asa crying in the next room, hoping that he doesn't. And I have my other ear, or actually no ear, both of my ears can be on that. And I have my eyes on, uh, Pokemon Go or Star Wars, Galaxy of Heroes or Marvel Strike Force or whatever, or the New York Times crossword puzzle or the New York Times spelling bee or any of the 97 other fucking apps that I'm addicted to that already take up way too I mean, much of my is... fucking time and I can do in bite-sized periods of time and not give uh, money to Jeffrey Gatsby. I gotta say, that is the bigger, like, Quibi does not feel like a Netflix competitor or a Hulu competitor or Disney Plus or whatever. It, it really feels like a, a mobile game competitor and i'm not sure it's going to win against apple yeah, well, arcade it's not going it. to well apple arcade is, needs to pick up their shit because uh, i subscribe to that and they haven't released a game worth downloading in months wow but the uh yeah now they started off hot out of the gate with a couple of games that were like oh wow i basically already paid for this uh, i don't need to buy any upgrade packs for a dollar 99 or whatever the fuck no, I'm not going to be price gouged um but they haven't really followed through on that promise but uh the, and God, I just downloaded a stupid Game of Thrones beyond the wall, like tactics like game on my Jesus phone, which Christ. is exactly one of those kind of games. I know it's too much. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and I'm already up to like level 26 on Pokemon Go. I'm fucking crushing through and making friends. Uh, gotta find a Snorlax. Anyway, the, uh, it, yeah, I, the, the last thing I want to toilet is another thing to watch unless it's like a bit of news coverage. I, I already have enough to watch. I, uh, I want something else to keep you busy. I don't know. I don't think Quibi's happening for me, but I will, uh, I, I do. David, before that, you lap. No, I just want to say a program like, uh, a, a platform like this has a lot of potential to grow in unexpected directions. I do think that if Quibi is ever successful, its final form or its accepted and sustainable form may not be recognizable from what it is now. 
watch the Titus Burgess cooking show before it's you really give up on fun. it entirely. It's so stupid. Um, I'm going to watch it. I feel like it's a sound it sounds like me trying to cook it just with, you know, in normal <laughs> conditions. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm going to go, I don't know how many of them are on their patches. Have you figured it out? I think there's three of everything right now, but there is 30 hours of content every day or something like ridiculous. Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a lot of shows and there are a lot of updates every single day. So, And there's more to come. I mean, the slate is deep and they have a lot in development. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. And even though people are not yeah, commuting these days, it, this could wind up being good timing for, for Quibi. Um, got poop. But people won't, people won't continue watching it if uh, if there isn't anything there worth watching, they can't it's buy sadly, toilet as paper. much as I hate to say it, not yeah, they need they need like a Tiger King or something, which yeah. is visible. Um, and I have no interest in watching whatever that would be, but that's the kind of thing they need in order to generate excitement. I have a Tiger cheer. King. Yeah, I raise you a Reno nine one one reboot. Is that what they're doing? Do they have that? <laughs> yes. Fuck. That's pretty good. <laughs> and call me, call me when there's a Strangers, uh, Strangers with Candy reboot, and then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. All right. I got to go watch this last cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be in bed and, and cozy up with my quibbies. That's I think I'm going to get in bed, watch this Titus Burgess cooking episode, and go to bed. <laughs> nothing, oh, says, okay. nothing ends a day quite like a quibby. Quite like a quibby. A little quibby before bed. <laughs> Just a little, just a little one. A nip. That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back with more quibbies to talk about next week. Maybe other stuff. We'll see. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarm.com. Listen to the episodes, you can share them with friends, or you can download them, edit them into quick bites, and put them out into your social feeds for people to quibby. <laughs> Although we don't get the numbers. Uh, I am David Rolick. I'm the film critic for Senior Film Critic for IndieWire. Um, you can find me on Twitter at David Rolick, where I'm basically just posting Leonardo DiCaprio memes for now, so I go back to work. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram. Why not? That's where I'm putting most of my, sort of posting most of my ASA content, which, uh, I think those, that thinking about not posting photos and video of your unconsenting, uh, young children on the internet has kind of gone out the window for me during uh, a pandemic where I, I need to curate that kind of content to stay sane. ASA will forgive me. Um, you can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room, please. Leave us a review. Let us know that you are out there, that you are alive, that you are okay. Uh, any sort of connection these days goes a long way. It'd be great to hear from you. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me over at The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We're getting through season two. We were not expecting to be quarantined for the hatch season, but it's been working out just fine. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where we, as mentioned, we are discussing Singing in the Rain this week. And uh, we'll continue uh, discussing more classic movies. It's kind of like the, the run-up to the quarter quell. This is, uh, that's how I'm thinking of it. It's all practice for fighting in the war room. Um, you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us about Quibi. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... 
And you could answer this East Lightning Round question because it was an honor, Quibi, being around. What's your pitch for a 10-minute show? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Don't, don't.